love coming here because it allows me to share my life. See, I'm Chinese, and I'm in a culture where you're not really allowed to share your life, you know, kind of weird, you know, you're kind of emotional, you know. So I like being here because you don't think I'm as weird as other people. And so, um, but, it, but it's very therapeutic for me because that's my life. That's my life. That's, that's, that's what I experience. And one's faith must live in the context of your experience to be real. You see, I've been a, a Christian for a long time, passed for 25 years, and I can truly say for the bulk of my Christian existence, I didn't really know what I was all about. I learned a lot. I was good at what I did. I can make people laugh through my stories, tell people about the scriptures. But for the longest time, I didn't know what I was about. For the longest time, I was a miserable Christian. Dutiful, but miserable. Because I didn't know what it was about. And so I take every opportunity now to tell people so you don't have to go through anguish in the Christian life. That you will know the grace that is found in God. Because ultimately, for the longest time in my Christian life, even though I believed in Christ, I believed in myself more. And I've kind of come to the realization that it doesn't get you anywhere in life. That ultimately is what Christ has done for you. So this message, it's going to be a little different than the other three. I've got to get you out by 1 o'clock. But life is a journey full of ups and downs. I had some great highlights this past uh, six weeks since the last time I preached here. As a, as a joke, uh, one of my great highlights is, is that uh, I was able to watch uh, uh, So You Think You Can Dance. And, then, and I didn't realize it was seven seasons. I said, where has it been all my life? What has I missed, you know? It's like I, I feel like I, I've been deprived. I should go to therapy. How come I wasn't uh, allowed to watch So You Think You Can Dance? And so, so I watched it. I said, this is a remarkable show. You know, I used to like Dancing with the Stars, but those people can't dance, man. The camera, you know, you might like, you know, I saw Buzz Aldrin do it. He can't dance, man. It's, 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 so you can dance. That's the real one. That's the real one. And so I was watching last week, and it was like, come to the final. And on the final, there's like three people. And this year's finalist was one, one young lady, uh, Lauren, a young man by the name of Kent, and a young, another young man by the name of Robert. And so I did something I've never done before. I voted. <laughs> and it was like the weirdest thing. And it's like, I feel like a teenage girl, you know? <laughs> Robert, 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 Kim, 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 you know? And it's like, and so, but you know, it's, 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 they don't know who you, you know, they don't know who you are, you know, they don't know you're a grandfather, you know? And it's like, uh, so you can, you can hide, you know, through the internet, you can hide and have aliases and stuff like that, so. And so I decided to vote, but this is a big decision. This is a big decision. And I didn't want to mess it up. So I asked my wife, I said, who should I vote for, you know? And, and she said, you know, Jeff, it's only one person, Lauren. Lauren's been the most consistent dancer. I said, I think I, think I should, uh, I think I should uh, uh, obey you uh, and, uh, and vote for Lauren. But this is a big decision, you know? I mean, it's not like voting for the president. This is really big. This, I don't want to mess it up. So I said, I want to call my other daughter. I'm going to call my daughter, the one who's into this. I called my, my young daughter in, 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 uh, in Los Angeles. And then I said, you know, have you watched it? Who should I vote for? He says, Dad, what are you doing? You know, we just came back from Bible study. What are you doing watching TV? And it's like, <laughs> and it's like we have it on tape delay, you know? I said, no, but this is very important. I got to vote. Who, 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 do you, who should I vote for? And she said, it's either Kent or Robert. 
And I say, oh, wow, this is, mom wants you to vote for Lauren. You want me to vote for Ken for Robert, you know, because you, you, want, you want the good look guy, the good looking guy and stuff like that, you know. And I said, I don't know, I don't know, this is, this is, this is really important, you know. And so I called it up because it's not a text, it's a phone message. And I got to say, I voted for the winner. Lauren. And I was so happy. I was like, I, I, I told, I text messaged my daughter. I said, you know, which loser did you vote for? And I said, you know what, you know, I said, I believe to the very bottom of my heart that the only reason why Lauren won is because I voted for her. <laughs> that it was a tie with, between Lauren and Kent until your father made the deciding vote. And it's like, I believe with all my heart, I claim by the faith in Jesus Christ that, that this is true. <laughs> And it uh, feels really good. So good that uh, when, they, uh, when uh, I have my eulogy at my funeral, I want that to be mentioned uh, as one of the highlights of my life that I voted for the winner. And uh, I will probably never vote again. These hands will never text another winner. Uh, that's it. I, okay. So that was a really good Another good thing was uh, uh, my daughter came with her husband, uh, Nick, uh, with their new son to visit me. And my daughter really wanted me to love her, her son. Uh, and my wife, I said, you know, do you get the feeling Ali really wants me to love her son? And he said, yeah, yeah, you get the really feeling. And, and, and you, know, you never know, you know. You never know. Maybe the son doesn't like you, you know. Maybe grandson doesn't like you. Maybe the first time, you know, you hold it, he spits up all this white glue over you, you know. And it's like, oh, I don't want that. Or you change the diaper and it's a boy, and you know, it's like, you know, it's like, oh, right in the face, you know. It's like, oh, no, 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 I don't want this one, you know. But I turn out I love this grandson, okay. Took 450 pictures of him, okay. <laughs> And um, <laughs> I got an iPod Touch just to show people the pictures of my, and I'm not a Mac person, you know. And uh, uh, it's so, I'm much alone so much that if you come to my house, there's a, there's a wall. Um, there are many walls. There's this one wall in my house. Okay, there's many walls, but there's many pictures of my house, of my family. But there's one wall where you come in that you see the, the main picture, okay. And the picture that was up there was of my wife and my, my two daughters. It was obvious that's, that's, that's up there. Up until last week when this came up. This one, I went to the, you know, uh, expense is no limit, $1.99 at Walgreens. You get a night eight by 10. This thing now adorns the wall in which Aaron people come in. And that's my grandson, Elias Garcia. And uh, real cutie, and I, 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 it's sort of like I have that face too. <laughs> Love that picture, you know. Love that picture, you know. You know, it's it's it's, it's a marvelous, it's a marvelous picture. So no, no, they, 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 those are really highlights, and it's it's it's, it's been really fun these past six weeks. But also, I got to tell you, it's been not fun too. Uh, because all with all the joy that you experience in life, there's always like downturns, and and there some of the downturns included uh, my physical condition. As you know, I have uh, I have a, a autoimmune system that's not going to kill me, but uh, what happens is that it eats away at my joints, and uh, it's been a very very bad month, very bad month because I'm trying to wrap off one medication and ramp on another one, and it's not sinking, it's not sinking. Uh, a good day for me is if I have 10, 12 hours of relatively painless existence, if I get 12, I've been getting eight, which is a bad day, which was a bad month for me. Worst thing in the morning is taking a shower for me, actually. 
uh, it's very painful. It begins to thaw around now, you know, things thaw. That's been bad. Another thing that has been bad was that um, two weeks ago I went to a funeral, and um, I've been to a lot of funerals because I was a pastor for 25 years, and so you oversee funerals, you visit people in the hospital, you know, you talk to people about death, illness, and uh, earlier this year my father passed away, and that was really difficult. But none as difficult as this one that I went around two weeks ago. For I went to a funeral of a 10-year-old girl uh, with my wife, who was a former teacher, and with the rest of her former teachers from the little public school that my wife teaches at. This girl, named Sandy, a photographic memory, a genius, nicest person you ever meet, want to meet, just made friends with everybody, was diagnosed with incurable brain cancer last year, July. One year, she passes away, almost a year to her diagnosis. And it was so sad. I found out on yesterday that her body was prepared at the funeral home right, right across the way. What made it so sad, not because you were so young, but the grief of the parents, of relatives pounding the casket, and they believed in Christ. They were Greek Orthodox, and she was a very person that loved, loved God, They're pounding the casket, I mean, mourning, mourning for her. It was really sad, man. I, and I, I never taught her. It was so bad, I talked to my wife. I said, I want to talk about it. She says, I don't want to talk about it. Why? I said, it's too sad. No one wants to talk about it. It's just so, so sad. Because sometimes grief is so bad, you don't want to talk about it. And the reason why I say this thing, and why it's so important in terms of the beginning of this message, is that you must understand that in life, you're going to have your good times, and you're going to have your bad times. And it's important that you have a faith that maneuvers you through the bad times. So that you understand what, who your God is, and that as you live it and as you maneuver it, that how you live is not fake, but it's real. Because every one of us can fake it, and you don't want to do that. You want a life that is real, a faith that is vibrant, that in the good times you laugh, at the bad times you just understand something deeper, just the veneer of etiquette. So I want to talk to you for the next, let's say, 20 minutes about the depth of what God is looking for us in us. And it's going to be in a, in, through a number of passages that we're going to study. I don't know if I'm going to cover it all. Uh, but we're going to do it in kind of two parts. One, what does God want in terms of behavior? And then the second part is why do we behave that way? I always like, it's not just what you do. For me, because I believe in Christ, the answer of the question of why is actually, for me, more important than the what you do, why you do it. So we have a bunch of passages here, and we'll, we'll try to get through some of them. The first one I have in front of you is, in, is in, from the prophet Jeremiah, it's chapter 29, verse 4 to 10. And some things like, oh, I don't know who Jeremiah is. Well, Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he lived around 600 years prior to Jesus Christ. And he ministered to a time in God's ancient people's Israel that was probably one of the most worst times in his existence because they have sort of abandoned God and as a way of purification, they were going into captivity, deported into Babylon for 70 years. So it was a very, very dark time. And Jeremiah had the difficult task 
of speaking the word of God to this people. So this is what he says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that they may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Now, this is an amazing passage. Because one, they're going into captivity. It's not a good thing. I don't think anyone wants to go there. Not only does no one want to go there, later on we will read that this captivity will be for 70 years, which means the overwhelming majority of the people going into captivity aren't coming out. There's one thing, oh, I'm doing time, but you know, good behavior, two years, I'm out, okay? Okay, I could, I, could, I could sort of be on the best behavior for two years to get out, or you know, I'm, I'm still young, I have time. No, overwhelming majority are not coming out of this place. No one wants to go in. They're losing their nationhood. They're going to captives many miles away. And in this context, Jeremiah says these remarkable words. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. This phrase, peace and prosperity, is actually one Hebrew word, very famous. The word is shalom. Shalom is a very deep word, which not just means emotional peace, but a more total well-being that is really very encompassing. This will be genuine in your desire to bring peace and prosperity into the city. Now, what makes this so remarkable is that if I were this group that was listening to Jeremiah, I said, what gives, man? Why should I care for captives? They're wrecking my life. And look, I don't want to go there. Look, I'm 54. You add 70, I'm not living to 124 and coming back. I'm dying there. My children are 26, 70 years. They're 96. The chances are that they will die there. Why should I care for anybody? I don't want to be there. My life is a mess. I have no hope. So why should I care for anybody? I should just seek to survive. I think that is the default mentality that we all have as, as human beings. If there is no hope and no future for you, what we will tend to do is isolate ourselves, and it's almost like, you know what, Jeff? It's every man for himself here. Why should I care for anybody other than myself and for my family? To which Jeremiah just says, I got to tell you something. This is what the Lord of hosts says. Pray for the prosperity and the peace of the people that I am sending you to. I don't understand that. It seems counterintuitive to human survival. It doesn't seem how it goes. It doesn't seem like I want to do that. But 600 years before the coming of Jesus Christ, God works through one of his servants, Jeremiah, to bring that word. But herein makes it even more difficult. He says, in your life, as you bring peace and prosperity to the people who are your captives, 
verse 8, 9, and 10 comes. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams. Now, they're telling them some, some, some of the garbage. We don't know what it is. But look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. It's an amazing thing. You live in grace and peace, and you bring the prosperity to those around you. But realize one thing. As you live in graciousness, and as you live to bring the harmony and peace of the people around you, realize this truth, that where you are is not your hope. This amazing thing to learn. Amazing thing for me to process through all the years that I've been a believer. That there's actually a connection between one's future understanding of hope. That that future understanding of hope and faith is not isolated from reality of life here. That in Jeremiah and in Christ and later on in Paul, the hope that you have in the future and the faith you have in what Christ has done definitely has a manifestation in the present life. And anytime you want to separate the two, you're going to get really messed up because you don't understand that one of the hardest things for a believer ever to comprehend is that the gracious life of the believer and the hope we have that this is not where it all ends, both coexist. And they are vibrant in the life of who we are. Faith is not just future. Faith reveals itself in present. It is seen here in Jeremiah, and it is viewed in a gracious manner. From Jeremiah to Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 to 15. This is a, the Sermon on the Mount. Like I said, about 600 years after Jeremiah. But Jesus is saying the same thing, but deeper. Verse 9, read. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. If you have a King James memorized or something, it's blessed are the peacemakers. Very famous passage. But what makes this passage really difficult is what follows. So difficult that it seems contradictory. And it is that when you work through this contradiction, do you understand the relationship between faith in another world and reality in this world, that they both coexist? For after he says, blessed are the peacemakers, or best, blessed are those who work for peace, verse 10, it's almost like Jesus changes the whole topic. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because of my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It is worthless. You are the light of the world. Verse 15, no light. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket and said, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, there's a verse I did not include here. 
at a senior moment, and I forgot to tell the, 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 the people doing the bulletins here. I take full responsibility. But it's the winner, verse 16. It seems that Jesus Christ is returning to the same theme of peacemaker. Sandwiched between these five and six verses of you being persecuted, he then says this, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the weirdest thing. Make up your mind, Jesus. We're supposed to be peacemakers, supposed to be doing good so people like they praise God, and then you got these five verses where they're, gonna, they're not going to like you, they're going to persecute you. What gives, makes up your mind, you know? This is why people say, oh, you know, there's two Jesuses, you know? Here, you know, the schizophrenic Jesus, you know. Oh, it's like, oh, you know, I got different, oh, you know, I got different, different, you know, two warring parties in early Christianity, each one fighting for a different type of Jesus, you know. One wants the loving Jesus, the other wants the, you know, the pounding Jesus, you know. And it's like, no, no, no. The thing is, it's, it's, it's all Jesus here. Because Jesus is talking exactly the way that the Jeremiah is talking, but, but more, because both exist. You see, for Jesus, he is asking of us what he has himself done in his own life. And it is not schizophrenic, two different Jesuses. It's one Jesus. And this is what Jesus would want. He says, on one hand, you need to understand the truth that you have. And there are going to be times and many times that people will not like what you believe in. Matter of fact, they may hate you. They may not like when you say that Jesus is the only way. They may not like you when you say that there's a judgment to come. They may not like you when you say that there's a hell. That's something that I don't like to talk about, but something I cannot deny its existence. But nevertheless, believers hold to truth, but also we are to be the most gracious and merciful of people in all the relationships around us. Because in that we are the salt and light of this world. It is not one or the other. Both exists at the same time for the believer. They may not like what you hold. But in the mind of Jesus Christ, when someone who does not like what you hold sees you, they should say, wow. Never have seen someone as gracious as you. Wow. Almost exactly what Jeremiah is talking about. You're separated from this world, but you do not isolate yourself from this world. And you are to be the bearer of grace and of kindness and of goodness so that people who think differently than you cannot deny that you love them. You cannot believe how long it took me to understand this truth. You know why? Because it seems that you cannot put the two together. And oftentimes you see people separating the two. We just want to be gracious so we never talk to anyone about offensive truth. We just show them a sort of compassion and love without any, any sort of truthfulness. That is not what Jesus Christ ever talked about. And then you hide from the other extreme. We just tell you truth, but we're disgusting. We show no love. Our love is to tell you how disgusting you are. And so what kind of, well, that, that's what Jesus never talked about either. He talked about someone who is truly compassionate to people, who understands the truth of what is and what is to come. 
and both are in existence. This is one of the hardest things to figure out, how the two exist together. To which, in this sermon, I'm not going to Romans 12. I'm going to go straight to the next point. When you figure out how the two coexist, a light will turn on in you. That is very, very important. That as the prophet Isaiah, you will mount up like eagle's wings and you will, you will fly. You will not be tired because you will understand something. Because you can do this based upon a human expectation or human effort. Some people might say the reason why we are gracious is because we bring in the utopia. We'll bring in the better society. We'll bring in uh, the harmony, you know, the age of Aquarius, whatever, you know. Now, I'm not saying that Christians, as we live graciously, don't bring true benefit to society. We give great benefit. And the Christians were at the forefront of ending slavery in the, in the Western, in Western world. Christians were the ones that helped in the Black Plague in the first millennium. Christians were the ones who started uh, hospitals and then the university systems, public schools, schooling for the poor, Christians. We, do, we have done much in terms of the history of our existence. If you think of bringing it on utopia, <laughs> I don't think so, man. <laughs> the world's got too many problems. And so though we will do good, we will never bring perfection in this life. And if you ever think so, you will be disappointed because I think the problems of this world are too great for even us as a body united to change and transform. Others think, well, we do this in order to, if we show grace, in order we, we will get grace. It's like this spiritual karma thing, you know? And it's like, well, if we do an act of grace, then everything will be fine in my life. I'll have blessings in my life. I won't have any problem. No more acne. My hair will grow back, you know? Uh, you know, things like that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 I'll, I'll win so you think you can dance, you know? Uh, 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 and then, you know, and, and I'm not saying that there's no blessings in God and as you do what is right. There's plenty of blessings. There's plenty of answered prayer. Plenty of you show grace to people. There's a huge possibility that people will respond to the graciousness that you show and return it back to you and their marriage will be happier. Your children will love you, you know, more. You might get a raise in, at, at work just because of the, there, there is a greater possibility that God will work a miracle and, 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 and to restore relationships and, and bad situations. But to say that that's the reason why you do it, I'm going to be disappointed once again because there's no guarantee that everyone is going to have like a winner all the time, you know. Some of you will show grace and you will be shot down. They'll leave you, man. They'll take advantage of your grace, man. They'll fire you because of your grace. They'll step on you because of your grace. Some of you, that'll happen. He said, well, what happened? I thought, I thought if I did the grace, I'd get it back, you know? I said, no. I think I'm, then you'd be all frustrated because what, I, I do something wrong? I did everything right. How come, I, how come I don't get the grace in return? I thought that because I do something, I get it back. You know, how come it, God didn't turn up his end of the bargain? You see a lot of believers that get frustrated that way. You get other believers who do things because they just think that as a believer, we just got to bite the bullet and gut it out. Oh, man, I met a poor man. I grew up in that type of, type of Christianity. 
Just do it because that was what we were called to do. And you could always tell those people, and I was one of them, because you could do it, but you were darn miserable at the end of the day. Because you just did it. But you were miserable. But I did it, didn't I? You know what God wanted me to just do it? Miserable. You know? Maybe that Chinese part of me coming out, you know? <laughs> miserable. But I did it. I did it. That's all, that's all that matters. I did it. I'm miserable. But I did it. But I'm an accomplished, miserable person. <laughs> you see plenty of those. We call that legalism. Well, you do things just for doing sake, and you don't really know why you do it. And here's the thing that I finally learned in the last number of years, that beyond the doing is the importance of understanding why you do it. Because I don't want to do things and be miserable. I want to do things because I'm real. And this is what I learned that beyond what you are to do, this verse that's going to be shined in front of you is representative of a great truth that is foundational, that must be present behind what you live in life. It reads like this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. Now, there's a couple of truths in here. There's a great love other translations have, he demonstrated his love. Important theme here, we don't have a lot of time. In human existence, love, grace, and mercy only means anything if we show it. Words are cheap. You gotta show it. Not only do human beings know this, God knows that. God says he loves you, he doesn't show it, it's cheap. This is why it was imperative for God to demonstrate his love through Christ. Sending his son to die, the second truth, that death was really important because unless there is sacrifice involved, true mercy and grace means nothing. Nothing. While we were yet sinners is real truth. Unless it is something that is not earned and something truly from the grace of God to the point where he says, you know what, Jeff, I'm going to forgive you even though you don't deserve it. Unless you understand that, all human behavior to follow God, you get tired of it. I get tired of church, man. I've been church, I'm so tired of it. Until I knew something about Christ. There was not an act for me to do, but a realization that Jeff, the reason why you show grace is that Jeff, you, you forgot. You're one of the greatest recipients of God's grace, man. You, you forgot. So it's all show for you, man. You understand the depth of what you receive, man, of the forgiveness. And it's no longer, well, these people don't deserve it, you know? You're right, they don't deserve it. And right, I don't deserve it. 
This blows me away. Because it's no longer by responsibility and gutting it out. But I look at myself and I say, I give thanks for the grace of God in my life that I will never repay. But maybe I can reflect. See, because when you understand the cross and Christ in such a manner, that is when it really becomes transforming in your life. It's not a doctrine. It's not a Bible verse you memorized. You finally begin to understand the immensity of grace in your life. And then you look at people differently. And that has been the greatest change that has occurred in my life in recent years. And it's totally transformed me. And this is what I wanted to share with you in terms of understanding courage. To be different because our faith is extremely radical, but is not based solely upon your human effort. It's really based upon a reality of, of you who believe in Christ. Every one of you has received that. And so you live life in death, in illness, in disability, in turmoil, being stabbed in the back. Because all of my life is the grace. So who am I to yell at you? It is all by grace. And that is wonderful. We're going to come to the end of the service. We're going to receive the offering in a little while in a final song, but allow me the honor of praying for you, which I love to do. Our Heavenly Father, the depth of this truth, let it grip us and catapult us to the heavens to relieve us from agony, performance, a self-centeredness for the truth of understanding who we are and what we have received. For those who are in the journey of God and in Christ and need to deep down deeper in difficult times, may the grace of God overwhelm us and transform us. For those who are seeking for the true God, let these words bring clarification and make us understand how great Christ is and how great his accomplishments for us are. To your praise and glory, O oh Lord, in Jesus we pray.